So what is worship? We're going to talk about this for four weeks, so what is it? So what I wanted to do to start us off was to show us a video of a, of a worship gathering, of a worship service, so that we get an idea of what this actually looks like. So if we can kill the lights, please kill them in a way they come back to life again. And uh, I know I heard that. Here you go. An iPod. <laughs> a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, today Apple is going to reinvent the phone. And here it is. No. Actually, here it is, but we're going to leave it there for now. So how are we going to take this to a mobile device? Well, what we're going to do is get rid of all these buttons and just make a giant screen. A giant screen. Now, how are we going to communicate this? We don't want to carry around a mouse, right? So what are we going to do? Oh, a stylus, right? We're going to use a stylus. No. We're going to use the best pointing device in the world. We're going to use a pointing device that we're all born with. We're born with 10 of them. We're going to use our fingers. We're going to touch this with our fingers. And to unlock the phone, I just take my finger and slide it across. All right? You want to see that again? Go to sleep. I'm an artist right now. Well, how do I scroll through my list of artists? How do I do this? I just take my finger and I scroll. That's it. Isn't that cool? Let me show you something else. I just take my unit here and I turn it landscape mode. Oh, look what happens. I'm in cover flow. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't, if you had six voicemails, if you didn't have to listen to five of them first before you wanted to listen to the sixth? Wouldn't that be great if you had random access voicemail? Well, we've got it. Just like email, you can go directly to the voicemails that interest you. You can see the button has changed to merge calls right there in the middle, so I just pushed that right here, and now I've created a conference call. I can just take my fingers and I can, we call it the pinch. I can bring them closer together or move them further apart to make it bigger or smaller. And so I can just move them further apart and stretch the image. Cool. I'll move it around. That's cool. We've been very lucky to have brought a few revolutionary user interfaces to the market in our time. First was the mouse. The second was the click wheel. And now we're going to bring multi-touch to the market. And each of these revolutionary user interfaces has made possible a revolutionary product, the Mac, the iPod, and now the iPhone.
There you go. There is the worship gathering, number one of this morning. Uh, what's so amazing is that literally uh, this thing is being spoken about. It's being talked about. It's being touched and fondled. It's being examined. It's being oohed and awed over. Some of you learned how to do a, a conference call this morning, looking at the first version of the iPhone. So you've learned new technology. I'm so glad that you're here to do that. But what we see in this, are, are lights available still? Amazing. Let's see if those work. Look at that technology. Oh, it's awesome. No one claps for that. Uh, but here's, here's what's going on. Um, there, there are three aspects of worship that just took place. And we find them in Romans. Romans is a book in the New Testament. We believe in the Bible. We believe that God speaks to us through the Bible and through his spirit. And so let me read to us these three verses. Uh, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there are three things that are moving in in this passage, and here they are. Glory. If you were paying attention to that video at all, you saw the glory of the phone and even more glory of Apple. And if you looked hard enough, you saw the glory of Steve Jobs. That we're marveling at the glory of something. That, that anything that we worship, we're going to awe oh, over. It's going to be truly awesome. We overuse that word. I overuse that word. But it will truly be awe-inspiring, awesome. It'll take our breath away. The glory will bring us into something that is so much bigger and greater. We get to use our fingers, right? The glory draws us in. The second thing is that we sacrifice. We sacrifice ourselves for this thing. We sacrifice our money for this thing. We sacrifice our schedules for this thing. Whatever it is that we're worshiping, we sacrifice for. And the third thing is that we are transformed by this thing. Uh, the iPhone has transformed the, the, the way that we do music. It's transformed the music industry in a sense, which is kind of bizarre. This little piece of technology can do that. But whatever we worship, we're transformed by, whether you like it or not. And the reality is, is that we're all worshipers. So we're not just here to talk about those who worship God, but we're here because we're all worshipers. We're always worshiping all the time. It's just a matter of what it is that we're worshiping. So let me read this quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. A person will worship something. Okay, here's a a non-follower of Jesus. So we're bringing in those who wouldn't necessarily fit inside of the church. A person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Oh, that's a powerful line. What we're worshiping, we are becoming. There are so many books being written right now about the way that that smartphones or iPhones are transforming us as humans, as individuals, and the way that we actually move through life 
We're being transformed by it. We're becoming this. Marketing. I was reading about what makes a good marketing slogan, good marketing pitch, and here's a short one-line thing, that good marketing wants to attract attention and create interest. So good marketers are working off of the reality that these three aspects of worship are true, that there's glory to things that people want to sacrifice for it, and people want to be transformed by what they give their lives to. So welcome worshipers this morning. Welcome to to the gathering of Church 21. But here's what we believe that the Bible has to say about worship. And these are actually the words of God is that we were made to worship. We were made to worship only one. We were made to worship only one. Only one object is not only worthy, worthy of our worship, but is capable of awing us forever. Here are the words from God. Exodus, book in the Old Testament, chapter 20, verse three and four. God says, you shall have no other gods before me, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So you're supposed to have no other object of worship. You might say, ah, it sounds a little restrictive. Sounds a little lame. But a good friend would never let their friend buy a PC. So in the same, <laughs> I'm just trying to follow with Steve Jobs, in the same way, in the same way, it's not restrictive if God is saying, I am the best, I am the only one who can draw you into to my awe, to my glory, to my fame forever, and you'll never get bored, you'll never be dulled from seeing me and experiencing me and enjoying me. So don't waste your time going after anything else because I'm what you're ultimately looking for. So it might sound restrictive or he's what's best. And so that's what we need to determine and that's what we're going to get at this morning. If God claims to be the best, then who is this best God, because we all have gods. As I was driving in this morning, I was talking with my oldest son, Nehemiah, about different religions, and we talked about Hinduism, and Hinduism having many gods, being polytheistic, and millions of gods, and creating more gods. When we stayed in New Delhi, I brought my son to New Delhi on a trip that I was on, and we watched out our window of people actually making gods, and these gods would be sold so that people could worship them. And I said, son, that's what people do all the time. That's what you do with Pokemon. Like, Pokemon are horrible. Pokemon suck. Pokemon cannot, they're not, I'm sorry for those of you who are so into that, but they can't grab your attention forever, Nehemiah. Right, they just can't. They're not worthy. They're not able to. Many of us, though, we, we're, we're like those, those potters who are making these gods, Right? We're constantly looking for a God that we can make or manufacture. We're looking for a, a paint-by-number God that we can put the details that we want attached to this thing. And then when we get it right, when we say, ah, oh, that makes me feel comfortable, I'm now willing to give my life to that. But we have this, this great God that we're going to look at this morning. 
that we're going to examine, is he worthy of my worship, of my attributing glory to him, my sacrifice, and do I want him to transform me, or is there something else? And so what I want to do is I want to quickly move through four scenes in the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end. If you don't have a Bible as you're leaving this morning, please grab one. It's our gift to you. If you don't know how to read the Bible, I would love to connect you with someone who does know how to read the Bible and can help you understand how to do that. All right, we really want to be generous in that way. But we're going to look first at the book of Genesis. And these will be four scenes of who God is. And is this God truly what I'm looking for? That's a question I want to be there. Is this God who I'm truly looking for in my worship? So Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 31 through chapter 2, verse 2. And God saw everything he had made. We believe that God is a creator and sustainer of everything. God sees everything he's made. And behold, it was very good. Flawless. Flawless. He stayed within the lines, right? We, we clap for our kids when they stay within the lines. He stayed within the lines. He did this beautiful thing that was perfect in every way, shape, manner. And his evaluation is very good. Not kids nowadays. I mean, one of my kids comes home, they get the whole half the paper wrong and there's like a way to go, bravo sticker. I'm like, Shh, not bravo. Like this is not flawless. Like Good job, kind of, but let's get the other half right. But this is perfect. It says, and there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done. And so what this passage is telling us is that God sits down. God sits down. He's done creating. Everything came from him. He put everything into place. He didn't go to the scrapyard of the galaxy and look for things to put together. Everything came from him. He says it's very good. He is the provider of everything, the protector, the sustainer. And as a good God does, he sits down because his work is done. He rests And so what I want for us to see and what the author of Genesis wants for us to see is that God is our provider and he's our protector. The things that we worship, we're looking for those two things to be a part of. We want for it to provide for us, whether it be technology, we want for this to provide what I need. We're looking for protection so we get I think it's Nest, the little cameras that you put all over your house so you can be creepy with the guests in your house. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird when you walk in and you're like, we have Nest. Like, Are you spying on me? I don't know. But God is protecting. God is a protector of us. So provider and protector, we long to be protected. We long to know that we're going to be safe and secure. We do. People come in counseling all the time. One of their major things is that they don't feel safe and secure. And God is saying, I want to be your security. I made you to be secure in me. I made you to provide for me to provide for you. Another form of counseling, financial counseling. People come in because they're figuring out, how am I going to provide for myself? How am I going to take care of myself? I've made some mistakes with money. God is saying, I want to be your provider. I want to provide and protect. I want to meet all of your needs. It's quite an offer. If that was a billboard downtown, here's a product that will meet all your needs, no lying. There would be lineups. 
to buy this product, whatever it is. And here's God saying, I want to meet all your needs. I want to even protect you from death. And we'll look at that later on. And the way that God wants to provide and protect us is through our continual enjoyment of him. Now, maybe you think about God and enjoyment and you don't put those two words together, but yet that's exactly what God wants. He wants for us to worship him by enjoying him. In fact, some would say the chief end of humanity is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So to make God famous by enjoying him, to experience the weightiness of God by enjoying him. That if you came in here thinking, ah, this is a religious meeting, right? I need to beat myself. I need to feel bad. I need to feel guilty. I need to whatever. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, come, I I want you to enjoy me. The way that you go to to the ocean to enjoy the ocean, the way that you go to the Grand Canyon to see the Grand Canyon, the way that you go to events to watch the splendor of sport and humanity compete, right? The way that you do this, I want for you to enjoy me. God is saying, I made you for this. Everything else just points to that. So God is a provider and protector. Second thing. Exodus, next book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, verse three through six. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So here's the context in brief. The people of Israel were just enslaved in in Egypt for hundreds of years. God broke them out. God took between one to three million people and delivered them out of this land of Egypt very much by his force and his provision. It wasn't Moses and his staff that brought them out. It was God through Moses that brought them out. And so now they they arrive at this place called Mount Sinai and they're about to receive these 10 commandments. And we think about the 10 commandments as 10 rules to follow. And if we can nail these 10 commandments, there's actually about 613 of them not to put any weight on that, but if we can at least get these 10 right, then maybe God would say, oh, I want you to come into my family. I want you to enjoy me because I see what a good little boy or girl you can be. Er, Wrong understanding of the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments and the rest were spoken to a people that God already brought out from slavery. They were free. God is saying to a free people, you wanna keep living free? Here, this is how you do it. I've brought you out here for me to enjoy me and for me to enjoy you as my people. You've been rescued. So this is another aspect that we wanna buy products or possessions or we wanna be in relationships with people because they're going to rescue us from something. We have an idea of what a hell could be. So if you wanna get married, maybe hell is single and, and your spouse would bring you out of single hell into marriage heaven, right? We have all these things, poor hell into rich heaven, or maybe rich hell into poor heaven. I I don't know what your heaven or hell is, but we're looking for product, person, possession, 
position to rescue us out of this place and bring us into this place. And God says, that's me. That's me. I want to rescue you. I want to liberate you. I want to go in to the orphanage and adopt you, the worst kid. If you knew me as a kid, oh man, I was a horrible kid, right? Our, our kids sometimes don't do the best things at school. And you know, my wife and I are talking about it. I'm like, you know what? I was way worse than that. So I, I don't know if that's helpful or not for her. But nonetheless, God rescued me. God rescued me. I shouldn't have been rescued. I shouldn't have been adopted. I shouldn't have been brought into the family of God. I did nothing. So many religions tell us, and again, Nehemiah and I were talking about this on the way in this morning. So many religions say, if you can be a good enough boy or girl and please the God, then maybe he or she will let you into their kingdom universe, tap into their tree, be nirvana, whatever it is. But it's all up to you. And I said, Nehemiah, how, how good are we gonna do with that? He's like, not, not very good. We're not very good. I'm like, you're right. So what has God done? And we reminded ourselves that God broke into this world to rescue us, to be his people, and that we continue as a free people adopted by him into his family. And not only that, but we are desired by God. God doesn't just bring us out of slavery and captivity into this new land so that we can just look at him and be in awe. But he also desires us. That's staggering to me, often. I feel very undesirable, often. Things outwardly look good a lot of the time, but inwardly I know, ah, there's some things going on. I'm so glad that people can't see into my soul. I'm so glad about these things. And yet God does. And God still desires me. That's mind-boggling. No, no marketing sells things like that. They just don't. There's nothing in this world like that. Nothing. You can't give me an example, and if you can, please do. Because I thought really hard this week that only this God knows you, the inner workings of you, loves you, rescues you, and still desires you, despite where you're at, even this morning. You see, we long for acceptance. I know you do. I know you long to be accepted because you breathe the same air that I do. You long to be secure in the posse, in the circle, in whatever. You long to be accepted. Even in your introversion, you long to be accepted by introverts. It's like a silent nod or something. I don't know the code. Um, but you long to be accepted. And God says, you are. You are accepted. And not only are you accepted, but, but I want to give you what's best. The third picture Isaiah, another book in the Old Testament. J Josiah read this for us uh, this morning, but I'll just do the first four verses. In the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord upon a throne. This is about 700 years before Jesus coming. I saw the Lord seated, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. This is a vision he got. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, so angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. This is a pretty epic picture that Isaiah gets to see a glimpse of the glory of God. The radiance of the fullness of the person of the Father. So glorious that that parts of God has to be covered up because these, these are too good to be seen. John Lennon said something dumb many times, but one of those times was he said that we're bigger than Jesus. The Beatles are bigger than Jesus. And I would say that this is, in fact, far bigger than the Beatles. I've been to India and I've asked on purpose, do you know who the Beatles are? No. All right. You know who Jesus is? Yes. John Lennon was wrong. <laughs> Done. Research over. PhD. Um, PhDs aren't that hard, I guess. <laughs> I know a lot of you struggle through that. Anyway, glory filling the the whole earth. Back to that. But the glory is filling the whole earth. There's nothing big enough to fill the whole earth with glory. Nothing. Except for him. Bigger than the Beatles, bigger than the iPhone, bigger than everything. And the power that we see coming is that it's shaking creation. And there's this holiness to him. He's unapproachable or inapproachable. Something so good, pure, beautiful, weighty, famous that you can't approach it because you know who you are. We get a raw moment of unveiling beauty and power of God. This is what we want to worship. When people go to Niagara Falls for the first time and you actually go to the falls and you see it and it's like, ah, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And there's like always like rainbows coming out of it. It's crazy beautiful. But the power, right? You don't want to trifle with the Niagara Falls. You see like the dumb little things that people sat in to go over the falls. I'm like, idiots. You know, like I don't, I don't high five. Like that's just dumb. Why would you do that? But the power of the falls, you don't mess with it. This is what we see with God. Beauty, marvelous, weighty, famous, awe-inspiring, but you don't mess with him. He's holy. He's other, and yet somehow he wants us to draw near to him. Not a little boat with a poncho, but we'll talk about what that looks like in a minute. And the last picture that I want to present of who God is, is Revelation 22, last book in the Bible. We did the whole Bible this morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day yesterday. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, in, in the new creation. Everything will be made new. So we have a throne of God, the lamb being Jesus, be there. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So what what this tells me is that God is a God of undiminishing worth. God doesn't have a, you know, we had the version 8S of God, but now we have the God X and this is gonna be awesome and it's gonna take over the world, it's gonna be great. We have this this God who never changes, never gives up, never stops being who he is. His glory does not diminish in any way or form. His stock never goes down. Even when we say, ah, God used to be part of this place, but no longer is he here. But it doesn't mean God's left. It's not indicative of God's leaving. God is present here and his, his worth will never ever diminish at all. 
We went to Woohoo. How many of you have been to Woohoo? Don't go. Uh, I mean, it was fun, but Woohoo is a kid's place where kids are supposed to say Woohoo in French and English, apparently. But it's this thing where you go in and it's like uh, slides and tubes and things that give you backaches. Like parents can't really go in there, but we all try to. And we're just not made for that at all. And uh, so we went to Woohoo uh, a few weeks ago with our kids and we figured we go in for this time and the kids are going to be like, oh, it's amazing. It's so great. But two hours into it, it's like, ah, kind of bored. Woohoo lost its value. Woohoo lost its woohoo-ness. And yet what we see about God is that he never loses his woo-hoo-ness. He never loses his value. He never loses his awe. And he, in fact, invites us to enjoy and explore him forever. You see, God is who we all really want. This picture of God, though you may disagree, you might say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe this, but... This is who you really want. This is what you're looking for in some form or manner. Because you want a provider, you want a protector, you want a rescuer, you want something of immense beauty, you want something with power, you want something that will never fade, you want something that's gonna cause you to belong, and you want something that's gonna pursue you. You do. That's who we are. You read from the atheists to cult leaders to God followers, God fearers, Islam, Hindu, it doesn't matter. This is what we all long for. And God is saying, this is me. I am what you're longing for. So if this is true, all right, if this is true, why would we worship other things? Why would we worship other things? Well, the problem, the problem is, is us. And it's twofold. One is that's our desire. And two is that we settle. We settle. So let me do those two things. We desire. We long to be objects of worship. We do. We want for people to look at us and worship us. We've all bought into it in some way, shape, or form. That started at the very beginning when we said to God, you know what, we don't wanna be, we don't wanna live the way that you've called us to live. We actually wanna figure out life on our own. We wanna be, we wanna be gods. This was a lie that our first parents bought in the garden. If you were to read the Bible, you'd see it right at the beginning. They believed the lie that you can be just like God. You can be a God. You can be a deity. Just disobey him, rebel against him, and you're your own God. And that was true because they worshiped themselves. But instead of bringing life, it brought death. And we believe this. We believe that we can be objects of worship. But the second thing is that we settle. We settle. God is saying, you can have everything in me. And instead of going after him, we go after other things that just give little pieces. We're willing to worship creation instead of creator. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter one. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That's powerful. They exchanged the truth about God, meaning us as humanity. We exchanged the truth about God for a lie. 
And we worshiped and we served the creature rather than the creator. And the creator is blessed forever. Amen, which means that's true. We've switched it out. We've switched it out. And, and listen to how crazy this gets, okay? The Bible's, God is not shy about revealing the, the craziness of his people, us. He's not shy. He's not embarrassed. So God delivers his people out of slavery. They get to see freakish things happen, like a sea move apart. And like, oh, okay, crazy. Walk across. They see God rescue them completely. They get to the other side. Moses goes up to talk to God on the mountain. They know that. They hear God's voice. They're kind of freaked out about it. They know God has delivered them. Okay, without a doubt, they know it. It's like my kids watching me deliver a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to them, setting it down, and then them bowing down to something else, saying, thank you, chair, for bringing the peanut butter and jelly sandwich to me. I'm like, hey, hey, I'm in here. I spread both of those myself, right? I handpicked the bread, right? I even peeled the crust, kind of. Uh, that's me. Look at what God's people do. Exodus 32 when the people saw Moses delayed, okay, he took too long, right? When he delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves. Like, we're dumb as humanity. Sometimes it's one of those moments. They gather together, right? Huddle, all right? Uh, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, Moses' brother, and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, like who is this Moses guy, right? The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears and of your wives, uh, of your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from the hand, fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Dum, da, dum, 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 da, dum, 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 right? Like, what? This is nuts. We read the story and we're like, I would never do that if I were there. Yes, you would. Yes, we would. This is what we do. This is what we do. We're delivered by God and then we turn to golden veal and we say, ah, provide for me. Deliver me veal, right? Like this is what we do. We turn from creator and we settle for creation because we can get our minds around that. We can get our minds around that this thing, we can attribute rescue from this thing alone. We're all false worshipers. We all are. Here's what false worship is. Looking to any person, place, position, possession, or product to give what only God can. Anytime this happens, we're falsely worshiping. Anytime. Uh, I read this week on multiple Facebook messages uh, or things that people post. Uh, this uh, from Tim Keller. If I have that, my life will have meaning. I'll have value and feel significant significant and secure. That is the object of your worship. And so friends, people, men, women, those who are here, right? We, we go after that all the time. Let me give you three examples. People, people, some of us have longed 
to be married. Some of us got married. Some of us want to be married. Some of us never want to be married, okay? We're all here, all right? So it's easy to look to a spouse as an idol. It's easy. It's easy for them to provide for us and to give us what we lack. And so when we look for a spouse, we we go sometimes with the question of, what should this person give me? Are they going to provide for me? How are they going to provide for me? Are they going to protect me? What, in what way are they going to rescue me and free me? Are, are they beautiful in, in my eyes? Are, are they powerful? Um, are they going to have unfading beauty? And if you're smart, you'll just say, yes, of course they will, right? Unfading beauty. And will they pursue me? Right? This is what we look for in a God, And we oftentimes look at our spouse or our our future spouse or potential spouse as this. But here's the deal. Your spouse is going to make a horrible God. They absolutely are. They're not able to carry that type of weight that we so often want to put on them. Many people I, I talk to in counseling sessions, we talk about their spouse. It's often not their spouse that they became disappointed with, it's the expectations that they had of their spouse. And so it's that weird moment where I say, okay, so what you're saying is that it's not really your spouse's fault. It's the imaginary spouse you wanted that your spouse can't live up to. So you've created a God that your spouse can't become. So we've put the weight of a God onto our spouse. And we're, we're ripped at them because they can't follow through. Well, of course they can't follow through. No person can ever meet your longings. Couples sometimes say, ah, oh, our marriage is pretty rough, so we're gonna have a kid. Dum dum dum. Like, right, we're just getting into that. Like, that's not great logic, all right? You're gonna give out of the fullness of your relationship to this, to this child. But children will not fulfill your longings because it's not long before, oh, I worked so hard on that sandwich that they throw the sandwich on the ground and say, give me another one, right? This is, this is what it is. No person can fulfill your longings. Maybe it's a position you're after. Maybe you want to be a manager, right? We all long to be managers at some level. I mean, because we've just owned up to the fact that we're not gonna be a professional athlete anymore or a singer or professional artist or any of those things. And the way in here, one of my kids said, dad, should I be a singer or a cop? Like, can you sing? I don't know, all right? Well, please, we, we should start there, right? But, but we long, we long for a, a certain position in society. What does that position promise us? Usually we want for the position to promise us money, okay, provision, Power, we want power. Uh, fame, how will people see us and view us out of this position we have? And maybe it's so that we can actually steward and use our abilities. But when we become a manager, here's what that means. You always have to be on. You never get to shut off. You don't just get to go home anymore. You're always working. This is what managers do. Uh, you have great ambitions, but actually most of your time is scheduling people, right? This is what you do. Um, few appreciate your leadership. You're like, man, when I get into leadership, people are going to be in awe of who I am because everyone agreed with your complaining before when you said, man, if I were a manager, I'd do this differently. Like, ah, dad, definitely, man. Ah, for sure. And then you get there and they're complaining about you again. People don't appreciate your leadership. 
They don't thank you for that. They complain. That's what we do, all right? Power is an illusion. Then you get money. Great, I got a raise. Awesome. But now there's no more time because you have to work more as a manager because uh, the employees don't value your time off. They value their time off. What a bad God a position is. Because even when you get there, when you get that degree, you get that position, you get that thing, you're always going to want more. You're never going to say, ah, I am satisfied. You won't. Position is a bad God. And third example is possessions. iPhone, let's just use that. How many of you have the original iPhone here working today? None, because it doesn't work anymore. We give our iPhone 4 to our children to play with their little robot on because that's all it can do. Fourth version, the iPhone promised so many things. But possessions lie to us. They lie to us that they're going to provide for us and rescue us and bring us to this new place. And we keep buying the wrong treasure. We keep buying into the marketing lie that there's glory here and I can find my identity here and this will satisfy me. The thing is though, we don't always realize that we're worshiping falsely. These are just kind of funny examples, but the the reality is, is that we worship these things all the time. Our hearts are continuously like squirrel, you know, shiny thing, right? It's like, oh, cool. And we, we run away. I mean, Sunday morning, we leave here like, oh man, thank you, Lord, for rescuing me doing this. And then you see like, you know, all you can eat smoked meat buffet or something. You're like, oh, gluttony, bring it on. Like you just, we so quickly leave the path that brings us to life for shiny objects that promise they'll deliver, but they can't. But here's the thing. When we see a true object of glory, our heads turn. When you're working on your PC and you see an apple, your head turns away from the virus that is infecting your thing, right? You are amazed at the virus-free living. Now, the Apple products can no longer talk to each other since Tim Cook took over, but that's irrelevant. That is his name, right? Okay, good. I'm just throwing out names. I don't know. I'm right, probably. Um, So when we see an object of true glory, our heads turn. Look, Isaiah 6, verse 5. And I said, woe is me. Isaiah sees God, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we see God, he rouses our attention. He does. This is what I've been praying for us this morning, that we would be seeing and experiencing God this morning, that our attention would be roused and awakened to who he is. Oh my God, you're the Lord of hosts. You're worthy. This is amazing. Nothing compares to you. And when we see him, we say, what have I been doing? iPhones, these are a joke. Manager, what a joke. Spouse, she's beautiful, but she can't compare. She can't, what have I been doing? What have I been running after? Why? When we see God, these are the questions that come up. How could I have tricked myself into believing this? But here's what woe is me does. When we have this woe is me, I'm in front of God. I know how broken I am. I know how messed up I am. When we have this woe is me moment, it prepares our hearts for for this moment of grace, this Christmas morning that God keeps giving to his people all the time. 
And here it is, Isaiah 6, verse 6 and 7. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal. That seems like a bad thing, but he took it with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for or paid for. The unholiness of Isaiah is removed because of God's actions for him. And this is just a foreshadowing. This is a, a preface for what God would do in Jesus. And so this is where I want to end our time this morning, is focusing in on Jesus. Because humanity, we're broken. We're, we're messed up. We're, we're foolish. We, we'll, we'll, we'll make veal calves and worship them instead of the one who rescued us. We do it all the time. And here's what God does. He sends Jesus. Jesus, being fully God, becomes a man. He breaks into human history that he started so that we as humanity can be face-to-face with God. Jesus lives a perfect life without one millisecond of false worship. Never did he follow the shiny. Never. He always kept his focus on the one who is worthy of all worship. And he reveals who the Father, who God the Father really is. Jesus reveals that the Father wants to forgive. He wants to take these, this coal, this proverbial coal and, and touch us with it. That he wants to forgive us. He wants to change us. And the way he does that, his, Jesus goes to the cross. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he did that so that he could pay a price that you and I should have to pay because we're unholy. We should have to pay to become holy, but you can't. There's no price that false worshipers can pay to become a true worshiper. Your millisecond of false worship was enough to make you unholy forever. But Jesus comes, he gives his life of true worship for us so that you and I could be made holy. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. For our sake... He made him, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You can be called the righteousness of God this morning because of what he's done, not because of what you or I have done. So when Jesus goes to the cross, this is what happens. He takes the wrath that you and I should have to drink for all of eternity, in separation from God, Jesus takes that and he drinks it on the cross. After the Israelites made this golden calf, when Moses came back down, he beat the golden calf into fine dust and made him drink it. He said, here, drink, drink your false worship. And that's a picture of Jesus coming to drink our false worship and paying for it completely so that it would never come back Again, Jesus on the cross rescued you. No other product or person can rescue you. He does. And he resurrects, he rises from the dead. And this is what everything hinges on. And when he resurrects, he says that your future is deathless. Your future is absolutely deathless and that you can now live under the provision and protection of Jesus and you can now belong with power. You see, the beauty of of the king's life, death, resurrection, 
an invitation into the new creation is what we all long for. And let me end with, um, with Black Panther. Uh, Black Panther, I'm not gonna ruin it for you, all right? You should have seen it by now, though. If you haven't, it's your fault if I do ruin it. Um, so uh, Black Panther is, um, he's a king. Uh, it's a series of kings. I live in, in the world of, of Wakanda. And I, as I've heard people talk about Wakanda, they said, man, I want to live in Wakanda. I want to visit Wakanda. I want to stay in Wakanda. Why do we want Wakanda? What is so beautiful and glorious about Wakanda? Well, here's what's going on in Wakanda. People don't know about Wakanda. It's a secret. It's been kept secret from the rest of the world, but it's beautiful. And Wakanda has these powerful resources that can transform and change the world's. And so that's what the movie's about, the comic books are about. Comic books are very political, like the comic books. They're great. But the other thing about Wakanda is they have this beloved king. And now they have a good king that's figuring out what to do with the resources of his country and how to bring those into the rest of the world. The king's name is Chala, King Chala. But Jesus is a better King Chala. He's better because Chala has to be saved by his own people. Jesus dies, gives up his life, comes back to life for his people to save us. Jesus doesn't need his people to rescue him. He rescues his people. And then, and then he sends his people full of his spirit, which is far more powerful than the resources and vibranium that Wakanda has into the rest of the world for the good of the world so that the world would become more like heaven. Jesus prays on earth as it is in heaven, out of Wakanda as it is in Wakanda. Let's bring Wakanda out. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing heaven down. I'm bringing heaven into the rest of the world. How am I doing it? Through Jesus's death, resurrection, and then through his spirit dwelling, being more powerful than vibranium, moving through his people to go and demonstrate and declare the good news that Jesus is alive. He's conquered death, that there's nothing else that you can go after that can satisfy you. This is what's best. Every longing in your heart is actually for King Jesus. Everything. He's everything you've been looking for and more because it's gonna take an eternity for us to explore the depths of his riches. You see, people connect with Wakanda because they want a king, they want a world, they want a power like that. And everything about Wakanda is whispering, it's all about Jesus. This is about Jesus. The stories are longing for a king. So now how do we worship? This is where we're gonna respond this morning. I'm gonna ask the, the music team to come up here. Uh, I'm just gonna walk through our response. Um, number one, we, we bring into view these images of, of Jesus, of God. By the way, your kids are gonna be worshiping this morning the whole time. So you don't have to get up and go get your kids this morning, all right? They're, they have a time for them. This is a time for us. So we get to focus in without distraction. Hallelujah. That's amazing. Uh, we have four little kids. It's very distracting sometimes. So we get to focus in without distraction this morning on this king. And so we're going to ask. We're going to start by asking the spirit to lead us in this. The spirit, the one that's more powerful than vibranium, is in our midst and dwelling in his people. And so we're going to ask him to lead us into worship. We're going to renounce false allegiance to anything else other than God. 
We're going to do that together. Why would we go after something else other than this God we've heard about and have seen this morning in his word? We're going to respond to God and his saving work. Maybe you're here and you say, I've never followed Jesus before. This morning, he says, I'm the king that you're looking for. I'm the one that you've longed for. And so this morning, you can meet him. You can say, Jesus, I need that forgiveness. I need what you've done for me. And he'll make you a child of the Father. You'll be brought into the family this morning. You'll receive the spirit of God this morning. It's an amazing offer. We're gonna respond to him in his saving work. And we're gonna be reminded all throughout the rest of this morning of his gift of salvation and provision. We're gonna take communion, which is a breaking of bread and there's juice and wine there. And Jesus instituted this. He said, this is my body, a symbol of my body, broken for you. Take in remembrance of me. Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed so that you and I could be brought into the family of God. We're gonna be reminded of Jesus' provision for us. We give. Jesus owns everything he gives to us. We give so that his mission can keep moving forward in this city so there's a black box there to, to give. And we use all of that money for the mission of God in the city and around the world. And we're gonna look at him. That's the rest of this morning. Don't worry about, oh, I wonder if I'm in tune. I wonder what the person behind me, in front of me is thinking. I wonder why they're raising their hands or not or kneeling. Or Don't think about that. The focus is the one who is high and exalted, lifted up, who we're not supposed to be able to look at, but because of Jesus, we can. So here it is. We are made to enjoy and worship God in his presence as his children with his resources. So let me pray for us as we do that this morning. King Jesus, you are better than Black Panther. You, your world is better than Wakanda. Your, your, your spirit is so much more powerful than vibranium. You are better than any storyline we could go after. You're better than us. We are poor gods. And you are a God who will never fail to surprise us with new things about you. I think how excited children get when their parents come home with gifts. And Lord, you're going to keep coming home with gifts all the time. You'll have new things about yourself for us to see and explore and enjoy. Thank you that you are worthy to capture our focus, our attention, our worship this morning. Help us as we do this. We renounce our allegiance to, to false gods. Lead us back to life in you that can only be found in you. We, we renounce trying to build a platform for ourselves so that we can be our providers and protectors. Lead us back to life in you. We renounce the way that we've tried to show off our skills for our glory. Lead us back to life in you. Forgive us for the ways that we've tried to use our bodies to advance our kingdom. Thank you for the demonstration of you laying your body down and taking it back up again and that we get to be reminded of that. Lord, help us worship this morning. Woe is us, we are unclean. But thanks be to you, God, because what you've done has made us clean. We need you. Help us to celebrate these realities of who you are and what you've done. Amen.